Hey guys, welcome to part two with international cross checker for the Cincinnati Reds, David Espinoza, um, where, you know, he's joining us from, you know, Miami, Florida, but in, you know, part one where we discussed you know, international baseball and how it compares to, you know, amateur baseball here in the States. Um, and I really think this is an interesting topic, uh, for anyone who would like to learn about how, you know, players develop in other countries and, and, you know, the focus level it takes for them to kind of um, achieve their goals of playing professionally here in the U.S. Um, so with that, I, you know, thanks for listening in and, you know, hope you enjoy part two. I mean, is, is there anything, going back to the international stuff, that's okay. You know, is there, you know, is there anything there, like, you know, as far as like talent is concerned, like if you look at the talent level, the talent pool here, right, I feel like we're watering down the, the you know, the talent pool in, in, in travel ball or high school baseball in California, because you do have, you know, everybody's starting their own teams. Now there's like, you know, there's a thousand, you know, travel ball quote, uh, you know, organizations within, you know, orange County, LA County over here in California. It's probably the same thing going on over there in Florida, but you know, is there a level of like, you know, you know, prospect dilution in the Dominican Republic or, or Mexico or any of these other places where you kind of see the same thing where you see like, okay, well now like, you know, there's an academy on this side of the island in Dominican Republic. I got to go over there to see one guy or I got to go to the other side of the island to go see one guy or they all kind of like bunched together for the most part where you can kind of just go to like one or two places and see a bunch of, you know, prospects in these, in these regions. Um, you kind of have to go around the island, but I would say a majority are in the capital. Um, and again, I think there are established trainers also that are kind of known to have the better players. Let me tell you, like these trainers, Bustones, they, they make a lot of money. It, it's not like the United States, for instance, the United States, an agent. You know, you have a couple of clients that are first rounders. That's great because they get a couple million bucks and you get 5% of that. And that's decent money, you know, but these agents are really thinking long term. They make their money when, you know, these guys really hit a big free agency and they sign for $300 million. Right. You know, but in the Dominican, only Venezuela. These agents are taking about forty percent of the money, so it's a business. So the ones that are established that hit on guys, you know, a while back, they're pretty much established because they've had a bunch of guys signed and they've made millions of dollars. So you know, once they have that money, they obviously kind of reinvest in their facilities, and you know, and they're able to to, to take the better players. So. It, you know, the Dominican Republic is probably a handful of um, trainers that are the established trainers. And there are smaller ones as well, you know, that have players. But, you know, what happens sometimes is that these, these established trainers sometimes become aware of a player that came out of nowhere that is with, like, a smaller trainer, you know? Mm-hmm. And these big time trainers, they, what they do is they buy the players from the trainer. You know, they'll probably pay the guy 50 or 60 grand 
So a lot of these trainers kind of they'll you know, accept the money because it's like, well, I'll take fifty or sixty grand now or wait two years and you know, maybe the kid is something. But but you start seeing that. Like the bigger, more established trainers are buying players off other, you know, trainers. Yeah. And that's- so I wouldn't say it's being diluted. I, I want to say they're kind of more concentrated yeah. in a Dominican in a few places. Well, that's it. Yeah, and I find that to be, that's, that's you know, I, I find it to be better. You know, here it's, I remember, I mean, you probably remember too, just growing up and playing competitively. There was only probably maybe a few, you know, teams that you would play, you know, pretty, you know, pretty consistently that were, um, you know, that had all the guys, you know, had all the players or prospects. And now it's like, you know, I, I, I watch competition now at the high school level, not, not with the high school programs themselves, but if you're watching like club baseball in the summer or the fall, right. And you're going to these recruiting events and you see just, you know, a bunch of teams from, from everywhere. Like these, like these tournaments have like a hundred teams. Like if you go to a perfect game tournament and well, they were in Georgia for a long time and they're kind of moving around a little bit. If you go to their bigger events, you know, in the Southeast, whether it's in Georgia or Alabama or now, now in Orlando area, they have like hundreds, hundreds of teams with players from the same grad class. And the majority of them are from the same region. Like, you know, the South, the Southeast, you're like, where do you, where do you find all these guys to play? I mean, obviously everybody wants to play baseball and everybody wants to be good, but, but geez, like, I can't believe like how, how the travel ball industry has grown. You know, I call it an industry because it is primarily a business for almost everybody, right. That that's involved in it. You know, perfect Mm -hmm. game, you know, perfect game. They're not doing this for charity, you know, USA baseball, you know, there, there is a degree of, you know, they want to build the best teams they can to go compete internationally, but that, that's a business as well. You know, so when when you look at this, you're like, geez, like, you know, is, is this good for the game or is this just kind of like, you know, is it, is it um, you know, I, I believe the message, you know, that, that travel ball sends is like you have to be good. You have to be the best in travel ball now to, to be the best later, you know. So that's – I'm trying to kind of, you know, I'm trying to – change that message if we can through, you know, through these, through these episodes on this podcast so that we can, you know, at least the guys that we work with and the guys that, you know, take the time to listen in on this stuff that they can kind of understand that if they're not as good as they'd like to be right now, like this is a long, like this is a, this is a marathon, you know, you you don't often, you know, become the best player that you can be until, you know, later, you know, your latter years in college or, even after that, you know, I didn't, I didn't start developing, you know, a good arm, you know, a good enough arm to play the left side of the infield till I was like 23 years old. Like I, you know, and that for whatever reason, you know, I don't know if it was, you know, paying attention to the strength side a little bit differently or, or, you know, implementing a different type of throwing program. But it was, it was, you know, my freshman year of college, it was just like, you know, average at best, you know? And so Mm -hmm. it, you know, this, there's a lot of things that, that, you know, that come into play between a lot of variables that come into play between 18 years old and 23, 24 years old physically for guys to improve there. But also you learn the game more, you start making better decisions, you know, you, you grow, you know, you grow your baseball IQ. So that, that helps you become a better player as well. So the whole development process doesn't end, you know, you know, cause we have guys that, you know, they're all discouraged cause they're going to junior college or they weren't recruited by, you know, a big division one program or they weren't drafted, you know, and, you know, they're, or they have to red shirt. They get so discouraged by this stuff because they're like, shoot, I'm not, you know, they, they start losing, 
you know, losing confidence and, and, you know, not believing in themselves because they didn't, you know, they didn't go that D1 route and become a, you know, a freshman All-American. And, you know, that's just, you know, the reality of it all is, is that, you know, there's, there's so much competition out there, right? But the biggest competition is, you know, the, the belief system and the, and, the, and the thoughts you have about yourself as a player, you know. Um, you know, so, yeah. I mean, you were a good player, man. Like, I, I loved watching you hit. I learned a lot from you on hitting just by watching you work in, you know, in the cage and off the tee and, and um, just the way you would talk to other hitters and not even talk to me, but, I'm, you know, I was, I was an observer, even though, you know, I like to chime in, you know, here and there, but I was an observer on, on guys like you uh, when D-Nick was around and, uh, you know, guys that played the game a long time. So that, you know, cause I, you know, I was still, you know, I was a little younger than you guys, but I wanted to, to, to find a way, find ways to advance, you know, my performance, you know? And so it was important for me at like 26, 27 years old to be around, around you guys and to learn, you know, how you guys played at those higher levels. So, you know, if, if I ever had those opportunities, I could feel more prepared about it, you know? Um, so I really think, yeah. Yeah. I really think at like the younger levels at 17, 18 years old, it's important to pay attention to your peers and what they're, you, you know, you know, the guys that have good work ethic, the guys that have had success, you know, the guys that may be a couple years older than you, um, to watch them and how they work and how they communicate with each other and how they, you know, how they receive coaching and receive feedback from coaches. Um, you know, so, you know, kind of in closing, you know, I mean, I just kind of wanted to, um, you know, if you want to touch on, you know, some of your, your best experiences in baseball, just a little, on a little bit more personal note, um, it doesn't matter what level, you know, and, uh, you know, you, you, you know, everybody's journey in the game is a little different. Right. But, and so I like to shed light on those types of perspectives so people can see like, you know, it's not necessarily about making it to the show all the time. A lot of it's just about enjoying the ride. Um, so, you know, just, just, one little fun thing, you know, one little fun story you can throw out there about, you know, or two, if you want to, to about your playing career and, 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 you know, what, what you've been able to experience. Well, um, before I go into that, I just wanted to mention something that it really, uh, another veteran scout told me this. Um, first off, like, it doesn't matter how old you are, if you want, and you put the work in, you can continuously get better. Just because you got to the big leagues doesn't mean that you can't be better the next year. Like, Mike Trout came to the league and killed it his first year. Is he the same player he was the first year? No, he's better now. So it's not like you get to the big leagues and that's it. You top off. Now, if you keep working and, you know, obviously keep listening and, you know, listen to the things that you think would help you, you can, you can continue to get better. Um, that's actually what you want. You, when, when I'm evaluating players, especially when I'm, um, evaluating professionals, um, I had certain organizations, you know, and I knew those organizations in and out. When I saw a kid in what way that I had interest in, or I liked, you know, I would project him to be this type of player, everyday player, or, or the above average everyday player, but, the next year, I, I had to see an improvement in this game because these guys, they all have warts, right? They, they got weaknesses, even big leaguers. Those big leaguers that don't have good tools or they have weaknesses, but, you know, they do other things well. But, like I said, it doesn't matter if the kid's an A-ball 
or in the big leagues, you want to see them improving their game. You know, those are the really good players, the ones that just continuously are getting, they're getting better, you know. Um, so, uh, I don't know where I was going to that, but. Let me see if there's, uh, let me see if there's a cricket. Um, no, that's not it. Hold on. I'm going to find it. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned <laughs> something like, you know, how, you know, kids are disappointed because they're not going to like the big schools and that doesn't mean anything. Just because you're not going to LSU or you're not going to Miami or you're not going to Clemson or, or whatever, doesn't mean that you can't go be a stud. You know, I, uh, there's a lot, there's a while back, but you know, Ricky Weeks was the number one overall pick. And he went to Southern University. Like, Southern is now this, you know, power five conference team, you know? So, if I'm a player, I wouldn't be discouraged about where you're going to school, you know? You still could play, you know? It, it doesn't matter. Everybody kind of develops its own pace. Some guys are a little later. Look, I mentioned this kid. Uh, this player, uh, earlier, you know, when I was talking about how it's got an independent league, mm-hmm. you know, Trevor Richards, uh, he was throwing 81 miles an hour when he was a senior in high school. No one cared about him, right? Because, oh, he's not throwing hard. He's not anything. No, but the kid had some field pitch, had a good athlete, went to division two school. You know, he's not going to Nebraska. He's not at, um, Georgia Tech, but he went to DC school. He played four years. He still wasn't even drafted, but continued to get better. He was 90 to 93. And for some reason, I don't know how, wasn't drafted, but you know, shame on the scouts that saw this kid in division two and didn't put his name in because there was no way this kid could have not been drafted. And he kept playing, got better, and he's in the big leagues. We signed him in 16, and he was in the big leagues in 2018. He got to the big leagues like he was a first rounder, and he signed for zero dollars. But like I said, he's just an extreme example. Like, I wouldn't get discouraged if you're not going to this big school. Like, just keep getting better. Like, you just want to keep getting better and you want to keep working. You know? Because it doesn't really matter. Like, these major league teams or the people who make decisions once you're in the minor league system, they really don't care if you went to Clemson, honestly. You think like when I'm evaluating a player in the pro side that I look at what college he went to? Yeah, right. I don't even, I don't care, you know. I'm just evaluating the player, you know. So, um, like I said, I guess the message to me is, you know, just if you want to keep playing, uh, go where you have a chance to play, where you can get an education. Obviously, you know, you got to take other things into consideration, you know. You know, there's only 11.7 scholarships, right? You know, like, why why do you have to go get these crazy loans to go play at this Power 5 conference somewhere? If you could go somewhere else and pay a lot less money and get an education, 
And then you're not burdened with like a hundred thousand dollars in loans to pay off just because you wanted to go to this D1 program or whatever. It doesn't matter, man. If like, if these guys have aspirations to maybe play football one day, you know, it doesn't really matter, man. Honestly, you just got to go where you, you have a chance to play, you have a chance to get better, get an education. And if, you know, obviously like you're going to get seen by somebody. You know, if I, if I discovered that kid an independent ball, you know, I mean, I, like I said, the example I give is an extreme example, but you know, these, these kids have a chance to be seen by somebody where they get, get a chance, yeah. you know, to, get, to sign professionally. Right. Um, to answer your question about, you said like, what was like my most um, memorable or favorite experience in, in baseball? Yeah. Um, I would say that it was playing on the junior national team. Um, you know, I, 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 I thought I was a pretty good player, but you know, like uh, in Miami, there's really good baseball, right? Right. But when I got invited to the trials, the trials were in Tucson, Arizona. You know, they, I get out there and man, there's a lot of good players. And I remember, I'll never forget this call. I called home and I told my dad, I, I, I played pretty well. I felt like I didn't play like as good as I was capable of. But I remember I called home and I was like, I'm not really sure if I'm going to make this team, you know? Um, there's really good players here. That was really the, the, like at that point in time, the highest level of competition I've been around because everybody was really good. And I made the team and for the record, like guys like Jamie Shields got cut. Jamie Shields, who pitched in the big league 10 years, got cut, you know, just so you know, and guys like, Ryan Garfield got cut and he played in the big league. So like big leaguers were getting cut, you know? Um, but I made the team. Um, I ended up playing really well. Uh, I led the team in hitting. Um, you know, we won a gold medal. It was, let me tell you, like the, the environment was not easy to play in. You know, I'm used to playing in Miami, you know, pretty much good baseball weather all the time. And um, we had to go play in a tournament in Taiwan. And, I mean, obviously, enormous culture shock for a kid, especially like me at 17, never had never even, like, left the United States to play baseball. I mean, even rarely even leaving the state of Florida to play, play baseball. And um, I'm, I'm sure not many people have been to Taiwan, but it just, it rains the whole time. It's just dark. Uh, we were playing day games, noon games with the lights on because the place is always so cloudy and dark. But um, we played against, um, we, we did well in pool play, and then, um, you know, the final four was set up 
and we were, uh, I think, the four. We were the four seed because we lost the game. Oh, I forgot what country it was, but it was like no. <laughs> it was a, it was like I want to say it was like Guam or something. Like we lost to Guam, so we were the four seed in the tournament, and we had to play the Cuban team. Uh, in the semifinal in Cuba at that point, like they were considered a juggernaut, really, really, really good. And, uh, uh, we haven't mentioned this, but my parents are Cuban. So there was, you know, obviously like I've always heard about how great the Cuban teams are and the players and they were kind of like everybody just kind of saw them as an unbeatable team. Because they just would win these tournaments all the time, and um, and they would take it super seriously. Not that we weren't, but the Cubans took it extra seriously because obviously they're a communist country, and if they do well, they get kind of rewarded, you know. So they had extra incentive to play well and win these tournaments. But I um, like in that game, in the semifinal game. I, I came up in a huge situation. We were down, uh, two to one and, um, we were, yeah, we were down two to one and I had, we had a man first and second and, uh, in a, I think it was either one, two or two, two count. And by the way, like this is high school baseball, right? Like guys don't throw inside in high school, you know? These Cuban pitchers were pitching backwards, throwing 2-0 curveballs and throwing in for strikes and, 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 and like throwing 2-0 fastballs in on the corner. Like it was like, whoa, like, you know, high school, you just kind of look for the ball out over the plate. You know, these guys don't command that ball. We, we felt like we were playing pro guys, you know, but the, um, well, anyway, they, they're, we were facing this lucky pitcher that was, you know, 90, 92 that can really pitch with a good curveball. And, uh, so I ended up hitting a double off the wall to drive in two runs. And we ended up winning the game three to two. You know, so I ended up getting like the hit, like the biggest hit of the game to give us the lead. And, um, and then even though that wasn't a championship game, it was significant for me just because you know, uh, it was, I have a Cuban background. I knew what kind of caliber team we we're playing against and how they were kind of portrayed as this like unbeatable team. You know, so it was such a huge win for us. And then in the championship game was actually, we ended up playing Chinese Taipei, which is Taiwan in the championship. And at that point in time, I had never really played in front of a lot of fans. You know, maybe like the high school championship game, like states, you have a few hundred people, maybe, maybe a thousand people. But, um, in this gold medal game in Taiwan, there was 20,000 people in the stadium. And, um, I don't know if any, you know, for anyone that hasn't seen any of these, um, games in Asia, they are just making noise the whole time. Everybody's got noisemakers. There was even like an MC guy with a microphone, like on top of the dugout, talking the whole time, firing up the cloud. It was so loud that I that game I was playing third base and we were in the third base dugout 
and our manager was, uh, you know, trying to get my attention, screaming at me to like move in. Maybe he thought the guy had a chance of bumming and I couldn't hear him. It was that loud. I had never been in an environment like that ever. And honestly, the, I, I, I've been playing the big leagues, but, um, I can only imagine that, 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 that the, how loud it was. It's probably how loud it could be like in Yankee Stadium or, or, or Fenway when those two teams are playing and something happens. I would think the difference is that in Asia or in Taiwan, the noise never stopped. Like it could have been like in between innings, like nothing going on. It was so loud. So that was, that was one of, that was like really memorable. And we won that game. We got the gold medal. Um, you know, we, uh, we got a ring for it. And that kind of elevated me to the point where, you know, I, I was getting a lot of attention because of how I performed for that USA team. And that's just kind of how it is still. You know, if you play on that junior national team, you know, like when you're 17 going into your senior year, you're, 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 for the most part, you're probably a guy that's going to be considered to be drafted pretty high. Yeah. Same goes for the college national team. You're on that college national team, like, you're pretty good, you know? So that experience was awesome. It, it kind of elevated me to, you know, I mean, I just got a lot of attention for it, but it was a lot of fun, man. Honestly, I got to play some really good players. And, um, you know, playing with really good players makes you a good player because it kind of keeps you on your toes, you know? Yeah. You got to, like, you can't, you know. I think that's the the one thing that's kind of bad now because I see it in Miami. It, 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 when it comes to high school baseball, it's diluted here, you know? Yeah. Um, There's so many of these charter schools. Uh, do you guys have charter schools in California? Uh, we do. It's not as prevalent. Like we we actually run a charter program out of our facility, but it's super small and it's primarily geared for like eighth grade and lower with a couple of high school kids. But we don't we don't have we don't have like teams that operate out of that. Well, in Miami, for whatever reason, there was an explosion of these charter schools, and it's really diluted baseball. Yeah, you know, you might have like one one decent pitcher on a team, literally. And the rest is just not good. Yeah, that's, so, yeah. I think that's the level happening. of play. Yeah, it's happening everywhere, man. Yeah. It's it's that's what I was trying to get to earlier. Just like completely, yeah, you know, it's a completely different type of talent pool now than it was even ten years ago. Um, just it's always growing in a not a very high quality manner. So, but um, yeah, but I don't know. I think um, to kind of reiterate what I said earlier. You know, if you're a player and I wouldn't be discouraged if you're not going to USC or, you know, Santa Barbara or whatever. You know, there's a lot of schools, man. Yeah. You know, you can go anywhere and if you keep getting better and you have, like, and one day you just want an opportunity to play pro baseball, it doesn't matter, honestly. You know, obviously you want to play in the best program you can play in, but you're not going to get better if you don't play. Right. You know, if, um, if you're a shortstop, right. And, um, you know, you see Santa Barbara had the freshman all American 
or the freshman player of the year in the country playing shortstop, it's probably not the spot you want to go to because, like, you're not going to play shortstop for at least two years, you know? Not that you have to play all three years at a university, but you, you got to put yourself in a position to, if you do what you're supposed to do, that you have a legitimate opportunity to at least play every day your sophomore and junior year, mm-hmm. you know? That's just my opinion. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we're kind of getting to that mark right, right, right at an hour, um, and these usually go thirty minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll probably turn this yeah, into a two-part two deal. But um, no, I really, I really appreciate you taking the time, SB, and, and uh, uh, you know, I know you know you got your family, you got a little one coming, you got a little one on the way, uh, mm-hmm. as well as a eighteenth-month-old you're probably chasing around as we speak. Um, Mm-hmm. But no, I, but you know, you're, uh, you know, you the, the wealth of knowledge you bring to the game, um, you know, the experiences you've had, um, you know, it, there's, there's a lot you can, you know, a lot of value you can provide, um, and that you do provide, you know, in, you know, and what you do, um, literally all over the world. So good for you, but, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, keep, uh, know, keep fighting the good fight, you know, hopefully everybody gets back on the field soon and, and you can get back to, you know, everyday life, the way you, the way you're used to it and, and getting back to work and, and going out to see, see some baseball. Um, and hopefully we can get back out there too, but thanks again, man. You're the best. Yeah, man. Anytime. Yeah. And for everybody listening that got through all this, uh, you know, thanks, but, if if you can, when you can, just go ahead, which, you know, right now you're obviously listening to it, so go ahead and do it now, is hit the subscribe button if you haven't done it yet and share this with a friend if you can and, and leave a review. Um, you know, leave, it, leave an honest review too. I don't care if you uh, honestly give me one star at the end of the day. Uh, I hope you don't. But if you do, great, that's fine. Um, but just stop listening to me then uh, and go to go to one of the – go to Joe Rogan. His podcast is pretty, pretty intense. But anyways – I'll uh, get with you guys on another episode. I believe it's with Jeff Calhoun from Biola University out here in SoCal. Um, That'll be the next episode, and that'll be out within the week. And I really appreciate all of you guys, and I'll talk to all you guys soon. Bye.